Welcome back to another episode of Better with Paul. Now, let me just tell you, this episode was incredible. Not only did we have an amazing guest, but the episode was packed full of one of my favorite words, and that is value. That's right. I was talking about this episode will truly help you to become better. So without further ado, let's get to it. Right after the break, another episode of Better with Paul. I got a question for you. I have an answer. Maybe. Do you remember? I think this is the only time that we've met, actually. Do you remember the last time that we saw each other? Yes, it's the second time we've seen you. No, this is the second, third the, time. It was in D.C. It was in D.C., Tech 808. Tech 808, right? Georgetown University. Ah, uh, close, close. Was it Georgetown? George Washington. George Washington. One of those Georges. Somewhere up in there. One of those Georges, yeah. Yes. All right, so now, do you remember the advice that I gave you? This is the moment of truth. This will make or break our relationship right now. So we just broke the relationship. <laughs> I have no clue. Are you serious? I'll tell you what I do remember. Okay. I remember us walking out, and we were talking. You was giving some advice, and I'll tell you what made me build my respect for you the first time that I met you. We were talking. You was like, I don't really do selfies, but we're going to take a selfie. And in the middle of us about to do the selfie, your wife called. <laughs> and... And I don't know what she said. She, you was like, you know what? I was supposed to be home like <laughs> a while ago. So you was like, okay, let's take the selfie. And we talked for a little while. And you was like, I love what you're doing. I'll be in touch. And like, you were gone. And I was like, you know what? I like that. Like I was scared. <laughs> I was like, I got to get home. All right. So it's interesting because I remember us taking the selfie. But I remember specifically giving you advice. And the reason why I remember specifically giving you this advice is because you reminded me of my wife. And some, there's a characteristic about her that you both share. What is it? She's from, when I say the South. Okay. She's from the South, right? And That's why she's so special. Yeah, yes, yes, it is, it is. And that's why, yeah, I'm just going to stop right there. Yes. And she has, or she had, she had a nice southern drawl, a nice southern accent. Now, do you remember what I... No. You don't remember, Sheena? Are you not. serious? I don't. I'm oh, sorry. my God. Okay. I remember that I specifically said, I love everything you're doing. I, like, psh, you're crushing it. Don't ever lose your accent. You did say that. You remember this, right? You did say that. You now, did. Now, had, has anyone ever told you that? No. No. So it sounds like some crazy advice, right? I mean, people say they love my accent, but no one's ever like, make sure you don't lose it. Don't lose it, right? Why do you think I said that? It makes me stand out. Okay. Um, people don't expect people with a southern drawl or accent to do what I do. Um, it's definitely like the old country bumpkins who, you know, live in the rural country areas <laughs> and you know, have the really minimum wage jobs and aren't really smart. The stereotypical thing that comes along with the Southern drawl. Mm -hmm. um, and pretty much I'm just like, nope, you can have a Southern drawl and kill it. Yes. So you personify, in not just the your accent, but you personify in so many ways this theory that I have, right? And it's this whole idea of 
we should play to the areas that there's a bias towards us and then play against the areas where there's a bias against us, mm-hmm. right? And so when you think about, like, actually, I got to already bring in, all right, William. All right, William. So you're from, uh, like, you're a northerner. Absolutely. Right? From, like, NY, New Jersey, mm-hmm. right? This, this is your spot, right? Mm-hmm. So you're from up north. Mm-hmm. What do you consider to be the southern stereotype? Southern stereotype? Um, something with poverty? Something with... Um, Probably like slowness, you know, lacking intelligence. Um, okay, but that's something I got from the media. No, 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 no. But th- but that's cool. So, so so you're saying maybe a little slow, okay? Maybe lacking intelligence. But then could we also say most likely on the on the positive side, what would you say is polite, polite, right? Nice, right? I think that that is the stereotype around the world, not just between North and South in the United States, but you could go to the UK and there's a different, different stereotype if you live up North or if you live in the South. You can go to Jamaica, there's a different stereotype if you live out in the West or in the East, right? There's all of these biases that we have. Same thing in Turkey, right? See, yes, <laughs> Selçuk is like, I can go on for days on this. But when I think about the space that you're in, technology, I think about entrepreneurship, I think that what ultimately people want is, is when you're trying to get business done, you want to be respected, mm-hmm. right? Sure. You want to be trusted. But where does trust and respect come from? Well, Amy Cuddy broke it down in her book, Presence, one of my favorites, where she says, okay, in order to be trusted, you have to first be liked. You instantaneously, just because of the Southern draw, like you could be the most like terrible, <laughs> mean, right? You were talking about spitting on people before we started, right? Yeah, no, so <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. No, no, but I mean, but that could be your personality. But the moment that you talk, people will immediately go to the bias of, okay, I, I, I like, I like her, right? And then I think the power is when you can take a trait and you could flip it on its head. That's where you stand out. When people hear the Southern drawl, they think, man, probably not that smart. But then when they hear you, they think, damn, she actually is really smart. So you flip it, and because you flip it, there's a moment that's created, you become memorable. They like you, and you become memorable. I think that is power. It is. And Sheena, that's why I told you that. I agree, I do. You're right, you are correct. I still, you know, it's funny, because even with it now, I'm, I'm also at the stage of like, People ask me to do certain things. I'm just like, uh, not quite sure I want to. Like, even for like media purposes, like, I have like PR people that come at me all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, you know, I would love to, like, you know, I think I can, like, build you into this person. It's, I guess, like, social light entrepreneur. And I'm just like, nah. No. Like, I'm good. Even now, people are like, who's your PR person? Right. You've been in everything. I'm like, so this thing I do called work <laughs> is a really great PR person for me. But it does. I, it's, it's funny because from a side of entrepreneurship, from a side of like media, from a side of being like a socialite, like I have people that come to me all the time for like opportunities and trying to be like the, the Southern Southern Bill, yes. you know, and I'm just, yes. eh, no. no, we'll like, see where it goes one day, but not right now. Yeah, like <laughs> I, I think probably what I most respect about you is that you are unique, and you embody your uniqueness versus a lot of people who try to assimilate and say, okay, what I'm going to do is try to do everybody swerving left, I'm going to swerve left. I think you kind of say, no, you know what? I feel like swerving right. So yes. I'm just going to stay, stay right. You know? And I want to get into 
why that is, right, and how that's come to be, because most people do fall along with the masses opposed to trying to stand out. So let's let's go back to to childhood, because I think childhood is always a major reflection for sure as who we are as adults. For sure. You know, so tell me about Sheena Allen as a child. But but in particular, though, like, t- tell me about what you believe was like, if I, if I were to say, like, what was your, uh, how, how would you describe yourself as a child? And I'm talking about like, like high school child. So I was, without any intention, I was kind of like the perfect student, the perfect child. And it was not anything that I, I worked towards in trying to like be this like perfect person, but I was definitely like the geek in school. So I was in National Honor Society, I was in Beta Club. I was homecoming queen. I played varsity basketball, varsity volleyball. You played varsity basketball? I did. I was captain did, of the basketball team. Did actually. you? I was. Were you the shortest one on the team? I was not. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was not. Okay. Um, I played the two or the three. Okay. Uh, I did play the one every now and then. But I, I, I was that person that just did everything. And it came natural to me. I'm Like my senior year of college, um, we had someone new that came in to go over the yearbook. And they were trying to put this, like, the yearbook stuff together, and it, like, wasn't working. And it's like, because I was in art. So I was really big in art. And so they came to me and was like, so, Shane, I know you're doing, like, 20 other things, <laughs> but you want to be, like, the chief editor of the yearbook. And I was like, cool. Wow. So I kind of just, I've always just kind of done everything. Um, but I will say what was opposite was when I went off to college. Okay. I, first off, I did not want to go to college. I wasn't my parents forced me. Um, it was... I didn't know then what I know now. In the sense of there's other avenues to kind of get to where you want to go. Um, growing up in Mississippi, you was, it's kind of structured that if you're going to make it out to high school, you go to college. Okay. So, but when I got to college, a lot of my friends was like, okay, you know, you're going to do homecoming, you're going to do this, and you're going you're gonna to pledge. And I was like, I ain't doing shit. Wow. Like, I'm going to class, I'm going home. Like, I don't want to do because I have done it so much to, like, grade school. Oh, was, you were just tired. I was over it. Okay. So I was, like, the kid who literally went to class and went to my dorm. Like, I was not in the yard. I wasn't trying to pledge. I was. I, I probably had, like, five friends in college, to be 100% honest. That's surprising. And it was because I just I wasn't trying to be social. I was over it. And I didn't want to be there, too. So that probably played a role. Right. So it's interesting because you said that you were kind of forced to go to college. I feel the same way. I feel I was kind of forced to go. And I, like, to this day, I think, I mean, no disrespect to anybody who's going to college. I've gone to college, uh, went to grad school. I feel like it was a waste. Yeah, I wouldn't do it again. Part. If I, if somebody said, if the question of when people say, if you couldn't do it again, would you? I wouldn't. You wouldn't go? I wouldn't go. Now, why wouldn't you go? I think that college is essential for, for one, it's based off what you're going to school for. So, like, you're a doctor, please go to school. I, I need you to know, like, what you're doing if, if you're right, a doctor. You know, I, I don't, don't skip it, please. Um, so I think college is good for in certain fields. I also think college is great for everybody in a sense that it does teach social skills. As far as, you know, you're at your parents' house, you got to wake up yourself, you got to go to class yourself. Like, your mom is not, you know, waking you up every morning to make sure you catch the bus. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not one of those situations. It's your responsibility. Like, your professor's not knocking on your dorm room door if you don't come to class. Like, right. it's right. on you. So I think those skills are actually really important and they're taught in college. Um, but I, I don't think college is the path to success for every single person. And 
why I started my first company in college, and I am proud to be an alum of Southern Miss. And I mention it all the time. I do media because um, I started my first company there. It didn't make me who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of passing the time by, to be 100 honest. Yeah, and then on top of it too, and we'll get into it because this is like the field that you're in right now is like the cost yes. and the debt that we incur going off to school is just ridiculous. So it's like, okay, we're gonna spend, like my, my, um, my, my niece is getting ready to go to, uh, she wants to go to Howard University. It's gonna cost her $40,000 a year to go to this school. And I was thinking to myself, damn, we could take that money, you could travel the world, you could learn so many different cultures on a lot less than that. So it's one of those where, ah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's for some people, I don't knock it. I, when I, when I speak to students or whatever, I always definitely push college if, if it's the right avenue for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I'm just not in agreement with the fact that we are expecting an 18 year old to go get debt when an 18 year old really doesn't know what, what? he or she wants. Yeah, because exactly. most of my friends who have good jobs now, they actually went back to school like 25, 26. They did nothing in their field over their major at like 18, 19. Yeah, exactly, and when you think about grad school, right? So I went to business school. Everyone that was in my business school class, we had already been out of school for five to 10 years so we could figure out, okay, this is what we really want to do. We also have the experience, so now let us go back and then look at the theory applied to our experience. At 18, it's like, what have you done, right? Like you, I mean, you can't drink till you're 21 because it's an adult decision, but you want me to pick a major and pick a school and get in $100,000 worth of debt at 18. Like that does, but you were drinking before. When, when, when did you have your first drink, Sheena? My first drink I had at 14. At 14. What was it? You remember? The Smirnoff, actually. It was. It was Smirnoff. It was Smirnoff. Did you have it with someone or by yourself? Definitely with some friends. I did. A, this is the crazy thing. When I got, it was another thing too. When I got to college, everything that you do with like college to be sneaky or when you turn 18, I had done it. Already, yeah. Already. So it wasn't like exciting to me. Like I snuck and got a tattoo in like eighth grade. Did you? I did. Uh, of what? Uh, it's an angel kissing a bird. <laughs> I know. Eighth grade. An, an angel kissing a bird. Can I ask you, and where is it? It's on my shoulder blade. Okay. Well, I'm actually, right. going th- I might go through the process of getting it removed now. All right. I am. I know eighth grade. You know it's what happens when you're 14. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I definitely have my time of drinking. And don't be wrong. My, and this is why I live by my parents. Though my parents were definitely like great parents. I grew up in a two parent household. Both my parents were really great. But my parents were very much like you go out, you make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I prefer you to make mistakes at a younger age that you can correct and learn from versus making a mistake at 22 or 25. Right. And Ain't no coming back from from those mistakes. So they definitely had rules. It wasn't like I could come down to four o'clock in the morning, but it was a very a very open environment where it was like you could learn. do you, yeah, you, you learn. It would also it. sounds to be, I think, uh, reminiscent of a lot of entrepreneurs that I've talked to who've been extraordinarily successful. Is that they had what they felt was unconditional love and support from either both of their parents or one parent or a grandparent, so that you knew you could make quote unquote mistakes. You could go out, experience and explore, but you always had a place to come back to. For sure. Right? That's so important. Sure. So important. More so probably my mom than my dad. <laughs> um 
and I, my my dad, I'm a daddy's girl now. Like I, he just called ex before I came here. I talk to my I talk to my parents every day. Which for one side note, I think it's so weird that a lot of my friends talk to their parents like once a month or yeah. once a week. Right. And they're like, well, how often do you talk to your parents? Oh, like seven times a day. Yep. Like in my, yep. I don't know if it's maybe just me and my parents. No, no, no. But, same. Um, same. I, t- I talk to my parents at least once a day. At least once. Yeah. Like my, if my dad doesn't call by ten a.m., I'm calling him. Like, okay, why haven't I heard from you? <laughs> same with my mom. If it's ten a.m.'s kind of thing. But anyway, um, but my, so it was funny because my, I think it's the way they grew up also. So my dad's side of the family is Jehovah Witness. Okay. My mom's side is Baptist. Wow. So How'd that work. It yeah. was well. My dad was kicked out a while ago. Uh, and never went back because of your mom because the relationship well, with your mom. he was actually he had a child before, he had kids before he met my mom okay. so when he had you know you have kids out of wedlock they don't you mm. know how that goes mm. um, and he just never went through the process of, of getting back into the hall as they call it or the truth okay, okay. Um, so it, it was so I would say a lot of that unconditional deep love my dad's side of the family is great. I'm super close to my cousins now. My grandmother, she's the only grandmother I have left. So I love her, call her as much as I can, go see when I'm in Mississippi. But my mom's side, just that Southern Baptist, like, yeah. Yeah. open arm. My great-grandmother, my grandmother, probably my great-grandmother more than my grandmother, but just that lessons, open arms, whatever you do, like. Yeah, all that food, too. All love is still. The, the pea liquor. Oh, man. I've had, oh, yeah. I mentioned pea liquor to somebody, and they was like, what the no, hell no, is that? So, so on my father's side, my father's from. Columbia, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. That's like straight. I mean, all it is is moonshine and fried chicken. Yes. Like, that's all it is. Some, well, no, catfish is a little bit more southern. Yeah, fried yeah, yeah. They don't do catfish. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, fried chicken. And uh, what is it like? Uh, what is it? Pound bread? What are you? Um, uh, what is it? Pound bread? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, well, it depends. You have different types of cornbread. So, but it's usually made from scratch. Um, yeah, it's nothing like Southern food. Yeah. You can say that. Yeah, it's, it's good. Like but so, all right, this now makes all the sense in the world to me why you started a business in college. Because most of us are not starting a business in college, right? So tell me about why you decided to create a business in college. What was, what was kind of the jump off for you to start it? For one, I didn't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually had a co- uh, business in high school. Okay. Um, I would design shoes for people. So they would bring me like some white forces or like something just like some white shoes. And they would say, hey, I want I want them to be Mickey Mouse. So I would like. And you would hook them up. Yeah. So I would design them out. I was I want to be an artist. Yeah. Like I was deep. I was super deep into the arts. Um, so I was actually doing that to make money in high school. Interesting. And then Interesting. I got to college and I, I, I kind of put the painting down. My dad told me I had to go to school for something that's going to make me real money. Because in the South, nobody thinks that art, especially in 2011, nobody thought art was going to make money. Right, right. Um, so I went to school. I actually made money by shooting pool with people. I know. It's not so bad. Not, not you made loud. money shooting pool. You I were did. a pool shark. So, you know, you walk in, you're the pretty girl. They're like, oh, like, you know, you don't need to be in here. Like, no, we're doing this. I'm like, oh, like, you know, I, I want to play. It's like, mm, I really feel bad to take your money. I'm like, look, I'm a big <laughs> girl. Like, you know, let's play. So yes, I was. You, you made money. You were a pool shark. That's what you're, you're telling us. Pretty much, I was. Okay, I right. did. All right, I, I respect that. I, I did my thing. I respect um, that. And then, was actually so crazy. I, I I don't know if I've told this story. Maybe I have. So my freshman year of college, I discovered Mark Zuckerberg. This okay. Is a true story. Okay. Um, this was when Facebook, of course, was early. This was two thousand eight. 
And I was like, I can create something way better <laughs> than Facebook. So I create this company called iZone Central. iZone. iZone Central. Okay. And I was trying to find some developers. My mom does uh, business analyst work. And so she knew developers, programmers. And I was like, well, I'm going to figure out how to develop myself. And then, like, I want to bring somebody in to help me. So one of her friends, his friend owned an entire development company out in Arlington, Texas. Okay. All of this true story. So me and my mom, we go to Arlington. We already had the prototype ready. So he, you know, he has it. And he, we sent it to him like a, like a month before we went out. So we get there, and I'm sure you had these. So like, you know when somebody loves it, can you get there? Like, you know, he takes us out for, like, this nice dinner. Like, you know, the steak yeah. and the potatoes. Trying to woo you. Yeah. And we go back to the office when we're done, and he's like, absolutely love it. Mind you, he was a, it was an Indian. It was an Indian guy. Okay. And he's like, absolutely love it. Like, I think, like, this is the next big thing. And, I mean, not to say to myself, <laughs> it was a, I, I knew I created something that was going to be, like, super dope. But, ha, but all right, at that point, though, you hadn't really created anything, right? No. It was, like, a design. It was, yeah. It was <laughs> all, but it was, I mean, it was, like, when I tell you, it was, like, laid out. It was, like, every piece of functionality and flow was was there. Like, okay. and it was called iZone Central because it was broken down to sections. So, like, one was, like, a um, zone for, like, e-commerce. One was a zone for pure social. One was, a, like, it was... I don't so in one big, but you can break, you can I get break out the okay. zones. Okay. And um, right before we left, he made me a proposal, and he said, "I love what you're doing. Um, it's going to cost you eighty grand." And I was like, "I don't, I don't have eighty grand. No, my parents don't have eighty grand." Mm -hmm. He said, "Well, I love it so much, and I know it's the next biggest thing that I will actually pay for it." And do all the marketing in India. You're only responsible for the marketing in America. But I have to have 51%. Okay. That's not bad, 51%. And okay. he's like, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, well, let me think on it. So we went to the hotel room that night. That morning we go back to the office and we meet them. And they, honestly, that the entire time I'm asking my mom, like, mom, what do you think? Like, what do you think? And my mom and my mom, she's like, it's on you. You created really? this. What would your father say? I didn't even talk to my dad about it. He, he didn't call it just me and my mom when we went. My brother didn't go in. No, it was just me and my mom. Okay. And I, I only consulted with my mom. I was like, Mom, like, what do you think? Like, you know. And young, I'm 19. Right. I go back next morning. I'm like, nah. You passed on it. I passed. So it was 80000 he was going to put up. He wanted 51% of the company. And he was going to develop everything. Yeah. As well as promote it, market it in India. Right. And all you had to do was promote it here. Right. And you said no. I said no. Okay. All right. I see you. I see you. When I look back on it, I should have took the deal. I'll, I'll admit that. I, <laughs> I definitely should have. Um, but being young and learning, it was, in my mind, I was like 51%. I'm not giving anybody. Like, I, I worked really hard to create this. Like, I'm not giving anybody majority of something that I took the time to truly create. Right. Like, I'm not going to happen. This idea. Like, not going to happen. This um, idea. So I took it down. And, it, you know, I, my mom told me years later, she was like, I was hoping you was going to take that deal. But she she never pressured me. She it was like, she literally said, this is your idea. This is your company. You created this. Whatever you say, I support you. That says so much, I think, about the relationship between you and your mom and her parenting. 
Like yeah. that says a lot. Like she's a superhero. Yeah. Now my dad, my brother, when they found out. They were like, <laughs> "What the crazy? Like, are you crazy?" Yeah. And I was like, "So that probably played a role also in me not wanting to be in college because it's like right. this was this happened my freshman year. So sophomore year, I'm just like, right." How the hell am I here? Like, yeah, because at, at that point, you've already been given this extraordinary offer, but also it seems like at that point, too, you're extraordinarily confident in your skills and your ability, right? So you know you can create almost anything you want, Yes. right? And it's interesting because I think that that's also something I see with a lot of successful entrepreneurs is there's almost this superhero complex, right? Not yet Kanye West-esque Never let me get there, please. Yeah, you're not, you, you weren't there, but you're still at a point where you think there are very few things I can't do. Oh, for sure. So it, that's fine. 80, okay, fine. That's, that's one deal, but I'm going to have 100 other deals. For sure. And clearly, you got 100 others. So it was then your senior year that you created the next business. Right. All right, so tell us about that business. So um, senior year, going into my senior year, well, technically it was... I, I did four and a half years of college, okay. so because I, I had two majors and a minor, so I did a, I did a lot of things. Um, so that so that I graduated in December two thousand eleven. So that summer, going into that last semester, um, I had subleased my apartment out. Go back to my, no, going back, go to Walmart, picking up stuff. Had was long receipt, and was just like, you know what? I wish there was an app, you know, that I can keep up my money and my receipts. And two thousand eleven, the Apple Store was still very young. Okay. And so I was like, oh, okay, you know, I'm going to figure out how to create this app. And my roommate thought I was completely crazy. <laughs> She's like, Shayna, what? And I was like, I'm going to create this mobile app. And I did. Like, I Googled stuff. I was still sketching out and learning stuff, you know, from my, you know, yeah. notepad and using Microsoft Word to do, like, text boxes. <laughs> now, all the crazy stuff that you don't do to create an app. But I was like, I want to figure it out. So your roommate thought you were crazy because yes. you had no development experience no. aside from basically like a wireframe situation that you had created your freshman year. Right. Okay. I mean, I was in school for psychology, film, and marketing. So those were my psychology, double majors Psychology, film, marketing. and marketing. It was, marketing was my minor. That's, I love that trio, though. And so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. That's a hot trio. And most people think I'm totally, it's like, what? Like, those are three totally different things. Um, but I, um, so I wasn't in school for anything technical, but I was like, I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that, the very first app didn't do very well, but I fell in love with the process. You know, the saying goes, like, when you find something that you love, like, you know it, like, that's what you're meant to do. And even though that first app didn't do well, that's the process of it. Like, I was like, I love this. Like this, I am meant to do technology. But what was it that you loved the most? Was it the the the, the coming the idea creation? Was it the actual, uh, you know, putting putting the design together? Was it the selling of it? What was it? Wasn't it wasn't the although the UI UX building that is I love that's one of my favorite parts of even building of technology. But it was the fact that I could take something that was in my head, mm -hmm. I can develop it. And people from all over the world will use it and will love it. Right. That was just amazing to me. Right. Because most of us, you know, we'll think of an idea or we'll put on an event or we'll talk to friends. It's like it kind of doesn't go any further than that. But it was like, yo, I can really touch the world through technology. Like ideas that I have in my head, like my little head. You're right. I can touch the world by like going through the development phase and putting this out for the what world. Was the, to the, touch. Impact it it was the impact of it all. Yeah. Yeah. So you said it didn't do well. 
the first one didn't do well. Okay. Um, and so right before I graduated in November, I developed my second app, which was an app called Words on Picks. Okay. Um, which looking back, I was definitely before my time. So Words on Picks now is like huge. Yeah, I was gonna say it's like a meme almost, right? right? Yeah. But in 2011, that wasn't. It wasn't super popular. Wow. So you you were doing that in 2011. Yes. Okay. And it did like five thousand downloads though, like quick. And I was like, okay, like I'm onto something here. Did, were you charging for the app? Yeah, we had one paid version, one free version. Okay. Um, and most of it was the free version, of course. But I was, I was making money, so I was making some money. Yeah. Which was amazing. Yeah. But wait, I'm sorry. You are one year out of school at this point. No, no, I was still in school. You're still in school. Still in school. Okay. Go ahead. And so I graduated in December, and my dad was kind of like, okay, are you going to get a job? Are you about to go to grad school? Mm -hmm. Like, my dad is very, he loves me, but to the point where it's like he he doesn't like risk. It's like, go get a nine to five and get a guaranteed paycheck. Exactly. And I was kind of like, so, you know, that's not what I want out of life. (laughs) So I'm going to go figure out this whole entrepreneurship thing. And he was not feeling that idea at all. But you were basically telling him that you didn't even want a full-time job. You just wanted to be a full-time entrepreneur. Yes. He was not feeling that idea. No. Because did he have to, was he no. paying? No. Well, the crazy thing about it is when I, just, when I graduated and like maybe a month or two later when I was like, I'm not going to grad school. I'm not about to go look for a nine to five. He cut me off. Did he? He did. So how'd you afford to live? Well, the company was bringing in money at that time. Okay. So from the money from I was making from the company, plus my mom was still, my mom was helping me out as much as she could financially um, without him finding out. So it wasn't like she could throw me a whole bunch of money. Because, of course, they they had shared accounts. He knew how much she made. He he knows how much she makes. Um, So as much as she could throw me on the side, like, you know, she would help me out. But the, the company was making money, too. Wow. Were you living at home? Um, yeah, I lived at home. Well, my, at that point, my parents were divorced. So my parents got divorced when I was in college. Okay. So I would go spend time with my mom, then I would go spend time gotcha. with my dad. Gotcha. Um, and of course, my dad, is the when I was with him, he cooked all the time. So I had to worry about food because <laughs> he was cooking. Yeah. My mom, bless her heart, she can't cook anything. <laughs> so when I was with her, you know, I had to buy food. But other, So I, I split time. Um but the company was making money, and I, and I would just kept like pushing out apps, and I was like, I know like one of these is is gonna is gonna is it, was that the the foundation of, of Sheena Allen apps? Yes. That, okay. That right. was and because at one point I was like, I'm just gonna develop different apps, and I was like, no, I'm gonna create a portfolio, and I'm gonna house them all under this one umbrella, which right. was Sheena Allen apps, and Man. I was like, I'm gonna keep spinning them out until like one of these is going to be a home run. It was kind of like the, the Angry Birds story where Angry Birds put out was 100. Yep, yep, before, before yep. one hit. So, so then at this point, though, is it just you? You're just the only, me. it's just you. And you are coding or no? No, no. Okay, you're outsourcing the coding. I did some coding, coding but okay. for the most part, I outsource. Like okay. trying to do UI, UX, QA, testing, and development is super hard. So for right. the most part, I outsourced the coding. So you outsourced the coding, but you were promoting it. Oh, for sure. Okay. I, did my, I did my designs too. So designing UI, all the user interface of it, like I designed it all myself. Got you. Um, I sent to a coder. He did the back end. Even sent it back to me. So the QA part, the testing part of like every, I did everything pretty much self for like that that back end coding. But now Sheena Allen apps that was incredibly successful because I was. remember when I met you, 
it was like, you know, it was uh, James and uh, uh, Anthony Fraser. Yes. Yeah, uh, at a, a fat startup, yeah. right? They were like, oh, you got to meet this. Like, she, like, she's killing it. She's got all this stuff. And I remember Googling you. I was like, damn. Like, yeah. you, you had... It was millions yeah, it was of downloads millions. at that point. All right? organic. I spent no money on marketing. I didn't have any money to spend on marketing. So it was truly, when I say organic growth, like I built a company, millions of downloads, pure organic growth. Damn. Can you can you talk about the money? Yeah. Okay. Um, so talk about the money. <laughs> How much money? Like, yeah, I mean, at that point, right, because I think a lot of people who launch businesses, right, what we oftentimes forget is that most people are not out here making much money oh, at all. At all. Like, at all. Like That's why I have, I have no problem telling the story, because I want people to understand I learned so much. And that's why I, I, that's why I truly believe I do so well with Capway, is because I learned the hard lessons yeah. with my first company. So even though the traction was there, I, I would say in the four years that we went super strong. With wait, wait, hold, hold on. Let me ask this. Okay. William, all right. We know, so, so because I think this is a good like perception versus reality, right? So Sheena's running this company at this point, right? Million, how many millions of downloads? Do uh, probably about right, 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 three million. Three million downloads out the app store. How much do you think she's making on an annual basis at that at that point? Revenue from her company? Ten thousand. Ten thousand dollars? Yeah, maybe, maybe I don't know. <laughs> All right. Is that is that accurate? Is that how much were you making? All right, Celtics like three hundred thousand, a little bit under a hundred thousand. All right, okay, a little under a hundred thousand. All right, but I think, I think the reason why that was interesting to me is I think most folks like millions, millions, she's killing it. Yeah, it's like millions. She's making millions of dollars. She got a Bentley. I know she's got a Bentley, right? But I also missed. I missed the mark, and it was because I didn't know. So that's why, like, I not only because I am a black entrepreneur. But I know when you don't have those resources, what it's like when you're missing the mark, when you could have had a home run. So, I mean, for me, what a lot of people don't know is I had an app at one time that was doing over 10,000 downloads per day. This is one of the apps that I had. Like, that's not counting the other ones that was also pushed. So 10,000 downloads one, from, from a day. From this one of the apps. So, and it wasn't a porn app. No. <laughs> that's what I'm... Man. Now... What should have happened was at the peak of that, I should have went and started pitching and saying, look, this is what we are. This is right. our retention. Right. But because I'm from Mississippi, I honestly don't know. I'm thinking that somebody's going to come to me eventually, like want to acquire it, acquire the company, acquire the app, or talk about money. I didn't know that that's when you go at, right. and start pitching. Right, double down. So by the time I even got to the point of having real mentors in the tech field, I won't say I was on the downslope of it, but I didn't hit it when I was at my peak. Mm-hmm. And it was, it's a, it's a hard lesson, but I'm glad that I learned it because now I know that, hey, sometimes even before you get to the peak, when you're, when you're selling so, dreams of going up the hill, that's when you start hitting and talking to investors and doing A, B, and C. And I didn't do that because I just didn't know. Okay. So if you were to then to like, let's, let's do a whole postmortem on your business, right? If you were to go back to day one of Sheena Allen apps, right? Day one, what is the most significant thing differently you would have done? Well, she's thinking on that one. Gosh. She's thinking. She's doing a deep Sold dive the thing. Company first. <laughs> <laughs> well, but before she started, though. 51,000. Yeah, but before, like, what would you have done day one difference? Because she didn't know it was going to be. 
10,000 downloads a day coming. Probably got the hell out of Mississippi. Really? That's big. You would have started the business somewhere else. Yep. Damn. Why? Why do you say that? I love Mississippi. It's home. Long term, I plan to make change. But it wasn't a place to grow. And being optimistic and thinking I'm this person, the superhero, you know, mm-hmm. I can do it here if nobody's ever done it. I hurt myself. I should have went somewhere where when someone when someone would told somebody else, oh, you know, this girl's doing 10,000 downloads a day, right. they would have made a phone call or reached out. No one's going to reach out to Mississippi when you're doing 10,000 downloads a day. Like, it's technology. Like, the infrastructure is just not there. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee if I would have been in the Bay or in Austin or in New York, and I was doing 10,000, 20,000 downloads a day, right. m- this story would be totally different. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. So is that a regret? I don't regret anything. Okay, look at that. I don't regret that. Soldier right there. I don't I regret mean, it. Was a lear- it was a lesson. It was a lesson. But it was a 100% it was a learning lesson. Okay. Big learning lesson, for All sure. Right. All right. I think that speaks to how important environment is. Oh, right? for sure. As, as an entrepreneur. Uh, so it seems like that's something that you're advocating for is that before you even starting the business, you've got to assess your environment and you have to make sure that it's the right environment yeah. for, for, for you to be able for to sure. excel. For sure. I mean, okay. like I said, I, I wanted to work in Mississippi because it was like everybody counts us out. It's like, I'm, I'm going to be the person that's like, I'm going to change the perception of it. Like we're going to be good. I would have, I watched this interview and I actually posted not long ago. And it was Lisa, I can't think of her last name. But in her interview, she said, it took me 10 years of growing. I'm paraphrasing here. But she said, it took me leaving and walking through the door myself and learned the hard lesson myself and realized it took that and me doing that. And then I could reach back and bring everybody else with me. And I'm much better off if they're much better off by me leaving and growing first. Right. Pardon the interruption, just want to tell you about something that my wife and I have just launched and we are very, very excited about. It's called BWP Connect. Now, you may already know, but if you don't know about it, let me put you on, okay? It's a very safe place for those of us who value legacy, culture, and financial freedom through entrepreneurship to all come together and connect. If you are interested in more information about BWP Connect, Simply go to paulcbrunson.com backslash B-W-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T. That's paulcbrunson.com backslash B-W-P connect. And now let's get back to the show. If I, if, if that was my mentality what, 10 years ago, that story would be totally different. If, if my mentality was let me leave, let me grow, then I can come back and I can make change when the time is right, the story would be totally different. Wow, that's powerful. That's powerful. You know, so... Sheena Allen apps, 10,000 downloads a day, like at the pinnacle. That must be when we met, right yes. around that time. Yeah. Okay. Well, we was maybe not too long after, because Dublin was the app that was doing 10,000 downloads a day. And then right after, I released an app called, um, well, right after, I released an app called Twitbooth, another story. Twitbooth, before they put the media tab in the Twitter app, Yeah. I had an app called Twitbooth. And what it was, it was pure media from your tweets. Wow. Wow. I get a nice little letter from Twitter. I still actually still have it. I kept it. <laughs> uh, well, email. Um, they said I was like infringing and all this stuff they was trying to say. And I would say like a month later, the media tab showed up in, t- in the Twitter app, the official Twitter app. Like I still have the email to this day. 
see. So, so what do you, I mean, what do you think happened? I think they saw it and was like, yeah, let me do this. Yeah. This, this, this happens time and time again, time and time again. And I think it disproportionately happens quite frankly to minority entrepreneurs. You know, time and time again. So I shut that company down because it was like at that point, I mean, why would you go to TwitBooth to look at media from tweets when you just go to the official Twitter app? Right. And so right after, I put out an app called Pixlit, which is when you and I met. So Pixlit was, I got the idea from a celebrity photographer in Houston. And what he was doing was he was taking these photos that he was that he had taken and he was in Photoshop and he was cutting those photos up into squares and he was putting on his Instagram page. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, I remember and that. And I thought it was like, the, I, honestly, I was like, this is the dopest shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I, I said, hey, can I turn that into an app? And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> I was like, you want like, be partners? He's like, nah, like, do your thing. And I put it out, and it just took off. And now, of course, now you have like Giant Square and like 50 million other ones. But if you look at the date that, on when those apps were released, like Pixlet was like. Yeah, I remember there were a lot of big celebrities. Yes. Downloading that. Who 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 were some of the big names on that one? Um, Steve John Stevie Johnson, which was a at the time he's played he's wide receiver for the 49ers, was probably one of the because he was like really big at the time. Like he was probably the first person like do like a real shout out that was like <laughs> and he hit me in my DMs and and all honestly it wasn't like that. He just hit me in my DMs. He's like yo, he's like. I'm using this app. He's like, then I realized it's by a female, and it's by a black <laughs> female. He's like, yo, this is dope. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, he's a he was a black uh, wide receiver, but uh, he like ended up like doing this whole like shout out on his like Instagram page, and after that, it just kind of it just took off. It just kind of took off. It just took off. Now, how much of the brand, uh, your business brand, taking off, was based on you, your personal brand taking off? Because I remember at that time. You were, I think it was because you, you came on my radar and then I started seeing you everywhere. Yeah. It was like, oh, she's you know, speaking here. She's speaking here. She's, she's on Mars. She's speaking here, right? It's like, so how, how much, like, well, 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 walk me through that mindset because I feel like we oftentimes buy the brand before we buy the product, yep. right? So it's like people buying into you. Yep. So were you really methodical at that point to try to grow your brand so that you could therefore grow your business? Um, I didn't. I really didn't understand the, the, the whole strategic way of doing it at first. Okay. Um, I get a question a lot of times to say, "What well, did you name it, Sheena Allen Apps to grow your personal brand?" Right, right. And I was like, "Nope, I couldn't think of a different name." <laughs> so I named it Sheena Allen Apps. So it had nothing to do with me purposely trying to grow my personal brand as Sheena Allen. Um, but it's like when one request started, like they they did not stop, and. But I'm hoping that I don't look back another 10 years from now and say, you know what, even back, even then, I should have gone ahead and hired like a PR person to like take my brand to like the next level. Um, but I didn't. And to this day, I still don't have a PR person. So, you know, not was it maybe a month ago when I made Inks Female 100 and I've been on every... There you go. I've been on like every Inc. 100, <laughs> Forbes 30 under 30, like, Donald Trump's <laughs> top tech entrepreneur. <laughs> Please leave me off all lists. I'm making the same request that uh that Prince uh estate made to Donald uh, Trump. Uh, Donald, like yeah. don't include me <laughs> on any of your list of your music anything. Um, but yeah, I I started doing like a lot, a lot of interviews and then people started buying in and people would also. Uh, you know, I had the PR people that would come and say, you know, I think I can do this for your brand right. or for you. And for the longest, I turned down a lot of interviews. Like as many interviews you probably can find of me right now on Google, I couldn't tell you how many I've turned down. Because I was, it took friends of mine, because 
I would be with friends and, you know, I would get an email from, I don't know, some publication to do an interview. And I'll write back and say, thank you, you know, but I'm going to pass. They would always ask me why. And I was like, you know, I just want to do the work. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really I don't really care to, you know, be in the magazines or do these interviews. Like, I just want to do the work. Because right. the, the work, in my opinion, at that time, I was like, the work going to speak for itself. Like, I, I just want to do the work. I don't really care about anything else. And it took friends of mine and other peers in, in the industry that said, I understand understand only wanting to do the work. And that means that you truly mean that you, you're in it for the right reason. Right. But there's not enough black women to represent what, what you do and who you are. So you... You have an opportunity to do the work, but also make an impact on somebody else's life by mm-hmm. being more so in front of the camera. And that's what kind of changed me to be like, okay, let me do more interviews. Let me do more photo shoots. Let me, you know, whatever the case. So it was, I I, I have and I kind of am still building my personal brand on my own terms. Right. Um, I also don't do well with rules. Yeah, so I that might that. be a, another thing that I'm having to work through. Because, I yeah. mean, I, I will be honest, I've, I've had PR people that call that I will take the, you know, I'll take the, the meeting and, you know, they'll be like, you know, we think that you'll do great in doing this in this way. And I'm just like, no. No. Yeah. You know what? It, it seems like that's something that you still debate in your mind. The personal, Sheena Allen, the personal brand, leveraging you as a personal brand versus doing the work. And the reason why I say that in particular is because, uh, all right, so I am a stalker. I'm a, st- I'm a people stalker. Like, that is legit. That's one of my, I think, one of my top traits. Like, this is a characteristic. Okay, right? stalker, go ahead. I'm a stalker, right? And I'm proud of it, all right? And I did some stalking of your IG account okay. right before you came in here. And I found something to be fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. You know what this is? You know what this is, William? What do you think I saw on Sheena's IG that has blown my mind. <laughs> Come on, don't act like you haven't seen it. You've been, you've seen it. He, look, look at him. He's already seen it. He can recount the last five posts. What do you think? What do you think was, was is shocking? Well, Celtrics looking right now. What do you, what do you think is shocking? This is a good plug. Everybody go to who is it? Who who is who is Sheena? Who is W-H-O-I-S-S-H-E-E-N-A. Sheena? H o i s s h e e n a. Go there. What what do you think? What looks? This is a really good case study right it's a now. A lot of a lot of text. Instagram case study. All right, so there's text. Okay. Text. All right, you're, no, no, no. All right, you're on it though. You're mm-hmm. on the path. Give, give me more. Informative. Informative. All right. Celtic is like informative. You guys are on the path. Give me more. Give me more. I'm unsure. Unsure. Okay. Like a mentor. Like a mentor. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So now, what I've noticed is there's two things in particular. She's like, uh oh, here we go. Here we go. I want to hear it. I notice. That there is. I feel like I should go look my own self. Just go. What is my Instagram? There is almost like this arsenal that you choose not to use, and now I understand you choose not to use it because you are focused on the impact. And I've noticed that the trend is actually to use that. And what I mean is that I don't think you exploit yourself. Oh, not at all. I don't see it's. I don't see any like Sheena Allen in the tight dress, uh, you know. But pointing, you like, like I'm really talking about entrepreneurship, but really I want you to look at me in my tight dress like yeah. situation. And you know, this is the case time and time yeah. again, right? That's used. Like, look at my laptop. Oh, look at my cleavage shot. But look, look at this laptop, though, right? 
this is become status quo online. Sure. Like, and the fellows are doing it too. The fellows are like, I'm a hardcore entrepreneur, but here's my beat shot right here. Look at this. I'm, I'm swimming at the gym, at the, yeah, at the gym yeah. right? The little thirst trap shots like everybody's got. I remember, I remember my wife called me out. I was in the gym once and it wasn't even me. It was my trainer. My trainer threw up, threw up the photo, right? And I just reshared it. She was like, I see what you're doing. Take that down right now. <laughs> I was like, delete. I um, see you, Jill. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but I see that you choose not to go in that direction. Mm. Why? Well, for one, I'm, I'm super private and maybe to a fault to some degree. I'm, I'm just a super, super private person. Um, I feel like... Even who I am as a person, I share so much, but I feel like when you get so deep into what what we're doing as far as like industry wise, um, and it's that profile grows, I want I want to make sure I have something that's mine, and it's really important for me. Um, I also I do a lot, even when it comes to like other people or things that I do in general. And I don't know if it's just growing up in a Southern Baptist home or my great-grandmother, but I'm also that person that feels like when I do things, it's between me and God or me, that person and God. Like, I don't I don't feel the need to, like, share it. So, like, right now, if I went and, I don't know, spent $5,000 to feed the homeless, like, I don't feel like I don't need to tell anybody that. Like, right. that's no, I don't have a point in posting that. To me, that's personal. That's something that I did from my heart for somebody else. I am really working on finding the thin line between the two um, because what I do know and I get a lot of feedback from it is people find inspiration in who I am as a personal person. Right. It's the work you do, Shane, is great. I appreciate it. But then you as a person, like, I'm, you're relatable. I get that. That's one thing I get a lot. It's like yeah. I, I can actually relate to who you are as a person. Um, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to find a thin line, but overall I'm just, and I've, I've been away since I was a kid. I was just a super, super private person. I literally, my mom has met two guys I've dated, one by accident, literally <laughs> by accident. We went to a basketball game. She told me she was not going to the game. So it was actually my, my, my college sweetheart. I took him to a high school game. Like we drove up to one of my <laughs> high school games and my parents told me they weren't going and I get there. My mom is there. And so that's how she met him. It wow. wasn't because I brought him Because you introduced him. Wow. So my parents have only met, formerly only met one guy I've ever dated. Yeah. So, so you're it's not yeah, just you're, like. You're private. Yeah. It's Airtight not, private. Yeah. It ain't just like with the public. It's even with, like my siblings laugh all the time. They have a joke, honestly, to joke in my family that says, we're only going to know when Shina gets married because she's going to invite us to the wedding one day. Wow. Like, it's not going to be like, I introduced you, like, five years going to go by, and it's going to be worked up to it. My sister says all the time, she's like, I'm going to get a, just a call or a text or something one day. I'm like, oh, I'm getting married. Come by on, on Saturday. No. So how, how do you balance this, though? Because what we're moving towards a place where we are now complete open books. Mm -hmm. Like, we're... Each one of us are like reality TV, 24-hour reality TV stars, right? Where you see everything that's happening, yep. like, you know, and we are almost incentivized yep. to do that, right? So how do, you, how do you strike that balance? For one, to be quite frank, I really give a fuck what people think. I just don't. I am so big on, I, I, I don't even call them fans. I actually hate the word fans. People that appreciate what I do and people that, that follow 
the news and the the journey of what I'm going on, I appreciate them 100%. So let me not discount it in that way. Absolutely okay. appreciate them. Absolutely love it. Um, but I, I have not and I will not ever put my destiny or my worth in another human's hands because as greatly as they can build you up, they can tear you down. And the minute you give them that power to build you up, you gave them that same power to, to tear you down. So I don't, I just don't get involved in putting it out there from the fact that people are going to come and say, oh, you look beautiful or hard eyes. Like, so what if I have a car accident one day, I'm going to be ugly then? Like, I, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. put my yeah. my faith or my, my mindset into the hands of anybody else. And the minute you do that, once again, if if it turns left, then that that's you went with it. Yeah, that's powerful. How do you, that makes me think about how do you deal with, you know, obviously we're coming through, uh, uh, I won't even say we're coming through. I think we're still in this Me Too era, right? Ashley is a friend of mine who really kicked that off, Dr. Wendy Walsh. Uh, she was uh, Time Person of the Year, I think 2017, for, for being one of the uh, first kind of whistleblowers in the space. Mm. But I can't imagine, like, I already know what it's like being a black man doing the things that I do, but then I can't imagine being a black woman, right, in this kind of space too. So first, help me understand what it is like. If you, if like, if, if that, if, 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 if it's even possible to help me, and I guess here, here's, here's what I mean by that, is there are a lot of men that are going to be listening to this that I believe are oftentimes doing things that are flat out disrespectful and inappropriate, mm-hmm. and they don't know it. So what is an example of you being in this space of being uh, you know, the CEO of your own company, right? Mm-hmm. Where the line was crossed one thing that I, I definitely deal with is I get the the men who want to have a meeting and supposedly it's a business meeting. And by the time at the end of the meeting, either if it's not, if we're like in, a, in an office, it's one of those like, oh, you want to go grab something to eat? Okay. After the, like after after the, the meeting? meeting? No. I, I don't. Or if it's meeting someone out at dinner, it's supposed to be a, a business meeting, and we've completely switched to nothing but personal conversation. Um, and it's like, wait, did we really come here for business, or did we come here so that you're trying to get to know me, like know me, know me, like two totally different, two totally different things. I will, I will say that I, I think some men – know exactly what they're doing. Okay. I do think there's a thin line. I've been saying this a lot today, thin line. I do, and I think there's a thin line between a lot of things. But I do think there's a thin line because in some cases, it can be completely innocent. I feel like if you and I went to dinner and we start talking business, and of course it's different because you're married and I love your wife, but I'm just an example. And it, we start talking, you know, personal. It might be genuinely like, you know, I like you as a person. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just curious more to learn more about you. It could be completely innocent. Right. And then sometimes it might be where, like, it's not. Like, you trying to lead it to somewhere that it shouldn't go. But then I, I also hate it because now 
I'm seeing where women are now pushed on the outside and there's things that people don't even invite us to do anymore. So there's a lot of men who won't even go out to a dinner, like a business meeting over dinner with a woman anymore because he might be that guy who will ask you some personal questions, but he might have a history of just not doing anything inappropriate, just his personality of trying to get to know a client or a potential partner. Right. And he, at this point, he's probably like, you know what, I just, I just will not take a woman out right. for a business for a business dinner, so I've I've seen the the pro- progression of it, which is it's been good progression, but I've also seen some of the drawbacks from it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting space right now because I completely agree, and I know from talking to a lot of guys, and I know even particular, I navigate differently now. You know, so for example, now today I would never even have this interview. I would never do this alone without having someone else be in, 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 you know, in the room. You know, I, um, you have some, some ladies will be like, Oh, he was staring at me when he said this word. And I knew, I know what he was trying. I'm just, don't get me wrong. The women who have truly, truly been harassed, been affected. My heart goes to them and women deserve better. But are there some cases where like it has completely been blown out of proportion yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I guess the, the positive from this is that it's now it should hopefully it's on everyone's radar yes. and there's awareness that's that's there. Yeah. Yeah. I just think we need to be very we need to be very conscious and very fair to those who who are truly affected by this because it's it's not it's not fair to women. It's not right to women. And it's it's kind of like we have those one or two who go out and they'll say something and it's really not the case. Right. And then it messes up for everybody else. So even as a woman those women who have been affected, who have been harassed, who have been even potentially raped or whatever the case, like be very respectful to what they've gone through. Like don't just throw it out there because you want to be part of a movement because this is this is very serious what some of these women have had to deal with, and yeah. it's really not fair. But I am very very happy that more um, more media and more attention have been brought to to what's going on. For yeah, sure. there you go, there you go. All right, so now let's talk about this little company. This little, this little thing that you're doing you know? right now, because this is the future. This is hot. This is, uh, this is, uh, this, this is incredible. This is Capway. So, tell us about why you decided to to found this company. What was the problem as an entrepreneur you're trying to create a solution for? Yeah. Okay. So, Capway FinTechs, my latest company, financial technology. So, Capway came about. Um, really, you started. 2016 was the idea kind of came about. So my first company, as I mentioned, Chanelon Apps, left Mississippi, moved to San Jose. Okay. It's heart of Silicon Valley. And left Silicon Valley, moved to Austin. So the majority of my time of, of Chanelon Apps was actually in Austin, um, actually. Uh, shout out to Austin. My brother lives in Austin. Austin was nice. Yeah. Austin was nice. Super clean. Yeah. Like one of the cleanest cities I've ever yeah. stayed in my I've life. also seen more white men with dreadlocks yes. in Austin, well, Texas, than anywhere Austin- in the world. Austin's theme is keep Austin weird. So there's no telling what you will see in Austin, to be quite honest. But I, growing up in in Mississippi, Terry, Mississippi to be exact, small country town, one bank, one bank in the entire city. I only call it a city, I call it a town. But the people in my town really didn't use use that bank for the most part. People use predatory options, payday lending, check cashing, title loans. Right. Right. Because Terry sits on the outskirts of Jackson, and Jackson is predominantly black, impoverished, impoverished area. So 
the difference in growing up in that and then coming back and seeing it the years after I, after I had left was I had the pleasure, and I'll say the pleasure because it, it, it was it was an eye-opening experience to be in tech at a time where you, I was able to see technology disrupt industries that I feel like one time people thought was never going to be disrupted. I don't think 10 years ago, even they've been around 10 years, but I don't think even then, 10 years ago, people thought that Uber was going to truly disrupt the right. taxi space. Not at all, yeah. Because, you know, life, if you hear, know the story of, like, Uber, where they, like, the tax commission was, like, calling the cops. Oh, yeah. On, like, every time somebody would try to catch an Uber, like, a cop would be there because they, they broke the law, the regulatory Definitely. things around it. Um, and it's like with Airbnb, you know. Even now, hotels are trying to, or apartments or whatever the case is, trying to go against them. But I was, I, I was... Super amazing. Had the pleasure of being around and like these and studying these companies as they was truly just breaking down barriers for us, like disrupting industries, very archaic industries. Let me say that because, like I said, I think the taxi never thought anybody was going to come in. And yeah, not at all. Take over what they were doing. So, in going back home to Mississippi, the thing that clicked for me that had never clicked for me before was technology can change this. Like the the people of my community who don't have the access they need to proper financial services. Because regardless of their income level, regardless of, of their location, they should have the same opportunity at finances as everybody else. Right. And the only way to do that is through technology. And I had the experience of building a tech company, but also had the experience from childhood up to know what it's like to be one of those people who don't have the same access and opportunity. And it was like, I'm going to put those two together. Right. And that's going to allow me to build something that no matter no amount of money can allow somebody to build what Capway is. See, we got to stop right there. William. Got to go to William on this. William, you must take a note uh, notes on this. All mm -hmm. right. All right. What Sheena, what you just said, I think is a masterclass in how to identify a potential business that will be disruptive, that will be huge. And what that is, is that you identified an acute problem. This isn't a small problem. The fact that there are, what, banking deserts and the mm -hmm. fact that, you know, payday loans are, you know, 35% interest rates, yeah. right? The, that is a major issue, right? People are losing half their check when they go in, half mm -hmm. their, you know, get, they make $300 that week. No, no, you made 150, right? That's one. So an acute problem. Secondly is you used your uniqueness. You used all your experience, right? The fact that you're from Mississippi, you went through that experience, you had the technology side, right? You have all of this so that, in other words, there are very few people in the world that have that exact experience that can create that exact solution. 100%. That's how you know that's the right business, right? That's, I think that is a masterclass. You identified a unique problem, and you came up, I'm sorry, an acute problem. You identified an acute problem, came up with a unique solution. All yeah. right, sorry. I just had, got excited on that one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so there were things in building the company that I, that I knew that other startups had tried, and I knew why they failed. Like, if you name a company that's tried it, I, I'm going to tell you off top. I can tell you why they failed. And even when you go to the bigger companies who are trying to get into, like, the whole unbanked, underbanked, financial underserved market, I can tell you why it doesn't work or why I, why it wouldn't work. You know, Amazon's trying to get into this space. JP Morgan just, I think they just announced or donated, well, allocating $30 million, I think, to this 
startups in this space. Okay, interesting. Um, it, it has been plenty of this, just trying to get into the space. Let me say that. It's never going to work. They might get some traction, but as far as like truly breaking down the doors and disrupting the space, it's not going to happen. Because if you go right now to rural Mississippi and you talk to somebody about Wells Fargo, they're going to look at you like, right. what? <laughs> I, right. What? Is that a movie? Is that a movie? Like, and Fargo? even yeah. for the young generation who's heard of Wells Fargo, they've only probably heard of them through social media. And we know that social media ain't too fun of Wells Fargo for the most part. So their perception already is negative. Right. So why would I bank with someone who I feel is stealing my money or not going to be good for me? And a lot of even people who live in big cities, so let's say my in D.C., and you would ask them, well, why would you bank with Capway and not Wells Fargo? It's not only is the name have been tarnished with a lot of people, but then it goes back to I can't afford those fees. Or if Wells Fargo does have, I'm just using them as an example, but if Wells Fargo has a department for people who are lower to moderate income, um, this is a department that they create for PR. Like they don't truly, they're not truly out to help me. This was a company that was built from the ground up to completely focus and disrupt this market. It's this, it's not an afterthought. It's not a department. Right. It's not a oh I researched this space and I realized it's a lot of money to be made in it. Like this is this is yes we are we are a for profit company. And I'd like to be super upfront about that because I, y'all have the people that try to go back behind you and be like, oh, you make an impact, but like but you're a for profit company and you do yeah. an ABC. Yes, we are a for profit company, but there's a hundred percent a way to, I say, make change and make money. That's like the saying is like, do good, do and all. No, sure. I say, make you can make change and make money. Sure. So we're in this space to make change and make money. Okay, I like it. I like it. So is the who, who's the customer and is is this u.s only because there were a, a two questions actually that came one person said is capway in, Aust in australia another was is capway in the uk so we are currently only u.s based okay um definitely have plans of going international 100 percent. but we're currently only u.s based and that was actually important for me because when you think of when you look at all the money that people like mark zuckerberg is giving out that gates foundation is giving out exactly in the financial inclusion space they're doing it in parts of Africa, different right. countries within the African continent, or they're doing it in places in like India. None of them are like, oh, let's <laughs> do it in America, right. where 55 million people are unbanked or underbanked. No one is doing it here. It's like, we're trying to help somebody else, but not help people in our own backyard. And it was super important for me to do it here because it's not fair that just because people look at us as this first world country, we're not all doing great. Yeah, that's incredible. You just said 55 million or Unbanked, unbanked or unbanked and underbanked so and together. underbanked that's incredible yes it's incredible okay so that's who you're going after yes well it's it that's who we so i i use the analogy of facebook a lot just because people like another story of facebook so when facebook started facebook said we're going to focus strictly on college students he knew long term his goal was to really focus strictly over, overall in the social world so we start with unbanked and underbanked because we know like they're affected the most they're overlooked the most. And right. so they should 100% be focused on first. They they need it and they deserve it first. But our overall goal as a company is to have a true disruption of the cashless economy. $3.1 trillion last year was still done in cash. But as an, as an economy, especially an American economy, we are moving to completely being cashless. You right. walk to a restaurant right now and they'll tell you, we don't accept right. cash. Right. You take the 18 year old who wants Netflix. You can't pay cash for Netflix. Right. You can't yeah. pay cash for Spotify. And so over time, and over these next few years, we are slowly going to move to an economy where we're not going to take as cash the way that we used to. So when you take people who are unbanked, underbanked, 
um, can't use their account because they're in overdraft or, you know, they don't want to use up their car because they don't want to hit a minimum balance fee, whatever the case, they should not be left out of an economy just because the finan- the mainstream financial service system was not made for them or meant for them or catered to who they are. They need a system too. And gotcha. so it was about building an entire system to disrupt that cashless economy so that everybody can participate. So you're providing almost all or uh, should I say many of the same services as a traditional bank? Yes. Right? And you're actually qualified as a bank. Yes. Yeah, so we're, we're FDIC insured all everything. Right. So, and we so sit, I could drop 50000 and I'm covered. Yeah, you know, you could. Okay. So right, I, mean, I, I tell people well, often, we're, we're, that middle, <laughs> we're that middle ground between like your newer, innovative, um, quick prepaid card type of thing. So I, an example I would use is Cash App because it's most popular right now. You can somebody send, send, receive money. You get the Cash App card. But the thing with Cash App is it's a prepaid debit card. So you can only, of course, spend what's on there, which is good to some degree, but you can't grow financially right. with that by doing that ever. With traditional banking, even though it wasn't meant for most of us, but in the sense of that, you can grow financially by following the system and the tools that are created and offered through traditional banking. We sit in the middle. So we have the same, those same innovative tools, send money, receive money really quickly, like, you know, the, the fun, innovative things. But we have also the tools and the pieces from a traditional side that we are helping people grow financially healthy and generational wealth. I love it. How many 30-year-olds in the world own a bank? That I have been able to know and research? None. None. Are you the youngest person that owns a bank? I've been told that I am. In the now, world. I know there's people younger than me that maybe operating a C-suite, but they didn't. They weren't the founder of the company. Right. So as far as being the founder and operating, I believe I am the youngest. That is incredible. Tell us about the team real quick, and then also you got some VC funding, I think? Yes. Okay. So teams currently, full-time is four of us, uh, with contractors included is eight of us. Okay. So still pretty small. Um, really great team, though. Um, my CTO met him 20, actually met him at the very beginning of the company, um, bugged him. <laughs> it is crazy because he could he could easily right now be working for Google, literally, like easily working for Google. Um, in fact, he was offered an option to work at Google. And he turned it down to stay, to, you know, to, to be the CTO of this company. And it was because he said, you know, I can go there and I can code and I can, you know, make a nice paycheck or I can make a real impact. And go. I told him early when I think he was more about money at the very beginning, I told him, I can't pay you 175. Like, just gonna be honest right here, right now. <laughs> I, I can't pay you 175. However, if you come on board, that 175 is gonna look like chump change to you one day. Exactly. Exactly. And he believed in the mission, he believed in me enough that he came on CTO. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I love it. And so, and the VC funding too? Yes. So, VC funding, we've raised um, right under a million dollars. We're getting ready to raise a pretty big seed round coming up. Okay. Um, uh, some of our investors, Backstage Capital, love Arlen yeah, Hamilton. Backstage, there you Absolutely go. Absolutely love Yay. Arlen. Um, Initialize Capital, okay. which is yeah. Gary Tan and Alexis O'Hannon. So, you know, Serena, Serena's yeah. husband. There you go. Um, absolutely. Both of them are absolutely amazing. In, the entire Initialize group, honestly, probably top investor that I, I, I couldn't ask for a better early stage investor wow. with the power that they have. And the way they literally cater to their portfolio companies, I, I'm extremely happy to be 
part of part of initialized. Um, Hustle Fund, Liberty Bank, which is the second or third largest African American owned bank, depends on what day of the week it is. <laughs> which I thought when I tell people the reason that investment for me is so significant is because I think it shows that as much as we really still want to push and talk about banking black, banking black and traditional black owned banks is never gonna move us as as a community. I'm just that's just the reality of it. If you add up every black owned bank in America, they their assets still don't equate to JP Morgan's three point one trillion dollars. So how can all these black banks together still not touch one of the major banks? We can't save ourselves that way. Like it's not enough money it's for its assets to 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 make the impact that this this company's community really needs. And so that that investment was huge because I think what it to me what it signified was they understood that we have an opportunity to touch the masses in a way that traditional black owned banking has never been able to do. Absolutely. The ideal of it was 100% great. Um it definitely did its part in the in the communities when redlining was bad and all those things but it's never been able to make a huge impact especially nationwide or to the masses it's just it it never got to that point and so I, to me their investment showed that they know that they understand that and that we are the company that will be able to touch everyone who's always felt on the outside of traditional banking like we're gonna be able to touch the masses in a way that no one else has ever been able to do so well i love it all i love it all like i'm telling you i'm so proud of you well thank you i and, and it's interesting because if I could, like, if we could invest in people, literally the first moment that I met you, I would have written a check for $10 million. Mm-hmm. I didn't have $10 million at the time, <laughs> but I would have written a check for $10 yeah. million. It would I have mean, bounced, but it's, it's I, I cool. I expect that we did this company, if, if, you know, and I'm hoping one day you can play this back, but I'm, I expect one day that we would have a very nice exit. Um, I pray about it often. When I say I, the reason I pray about it is because the saying is companies are meant to be sold. They're built to be sold. I pray about it because, one, I always think about what's next. And the reason I say that is because I look at other legacies, the Walton family, right. the Rockefeller family. Like they built something that never was sold so that their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren was always going to have something that was built that was going to last the, the test of time. Most, most of us as black people, we don't do that. We don't have something that we built so solid that our great grandkids can be the president of it, and you know that that generational wealth continues. So for me, is is this is this that company I'm, I'm supposed to keep, so that my great great grandchild's gonna be the president one day of, of Capway, or is the company that I build I sell and I build the next thing that my great great grandchild can be the president of? So I, I pray about it for that reason, and I also pray about it to. Push gonna show we sell it, which you know once again companies are meant to be sold. I can take that money and do some more amazing things with it. Absolutely. But on top of that, I want to make sure that I have the ability to build it up enough so that if and when it is sold, I've made such a deep impact with what we do that even when the company buys it tries to make some changes, we've done our job. Yeah, yeah. That seems to be your through line. Right, is impact. It's all about impact. Yeah. From you, Mississippi, um, first year, right? That first company, iZone. Yep. Right. It's it. Ultimately, you were like, no, because I feel like I can make better impact, bigger impact myself. Yeah. Right. The next company, like everything, has been about impact, mm-hmm. and and I and I applaud you for that. And I have no doubt 
that you're going to continue to make inc like incredible you know impact. Mm -hmm. My last question is this: How can folks support you? And I really want you to give like a real like because sometimes when I ask this question, people <laughs> are like, "Oh yeah, well hit me up on." But no, like somebody's listening right now; they're very inspired by what they've heard. How can they support you? So Capway, download the app or go to the website, start an account. Get a friend to start an account. So either way, you know, get, let's get some, not just start an account, actually deposit money in an active <laughs> account. That right. would be the most important. That's number one. Number two, I would say go to my personal website, shinaallen.co. Um, and that allows you to sign up for my newsletter, my personal newsletter, because I have more things that go on outside of even just Capway. Capway is my focus. I mean, you have to be able to focus to, to really do amazing things. But I do do things outside of Capway. Um, so I, I build I build all around. It's not just fintech. It's who knows what's going to come out the woodwork soon enough. And I'll say the number three thing for support would be, I don't know, be mindful. That supports me. Like, to be mindful of people who don't look like you, who aren't like you, who are different from you. Like, that, to me, that's a big, cause that's, I feel like that's what I embody. That's what I represent. The reason I think people are attracted to my, who I am is because I'm the eyeball. And a lot of people feel like they're the eyeball. And it's like the oddball made it. So, yeah. There you go. Sheena Allen, the oddball. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. And that's it. Another episode of Better With Paul in the Books. Can I say I am completely sitting, standing, feeling. Actually, I'll tell you, I got to be honest with you. You know, I sit through the interviews but sometimes I stand like right now I'm standing for this outro because I get so amped up from these uh you know from from these interviews but let me just tell you I'm feeling good I hope you're feeling good let's make the next week incredible and then I'll see you on the next Better With Paul.